Hello and welcome to Forex Focus, UBP's FX podcast. I'm Peter Kinsella, Global Head of FX Strategy at UBP. And today I'm joined by Elias Haddad. Elias is a former researcher for, with BCA and uh, was also a senior FX strategist at the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Um, we're going to talk today about the Federal Reserve, the, Fed, the Fed meeting, what it means for the dollar, and, and indeed, I guess, what it means for the wider G10 FX outlook. Um, so, Elias, th thanks very much for coming on the, on the show today. Very, uh, very happy to have you on. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for uh, having me on. It's, uh, it's an absolute honor. So you're, you're too kind. You're too kind. Um, so we have the Fed meeting. They've given us a set another 75 basis point rate hike. We've now got the, the Fed funds rate between 3.75 to 4%. Um, Fed Governor Jay Powell gave what I would say is very interesting guidance in the sense of saying effectively that we're going to get you know, a higher rate, higher terminal rate. Uh, for a longer period, and um, what, what do you make of that? What do you what do you make of Powell's speech? What he said, etc. Well, I mean, it was uh, he, he. I think that the bottom line here is that he really uh, downplayed uh, the uh, the expectations of a Fed pivot. I think that's the key here, and he he did he did a pretty good balancing act in terms of you know warning financial market that the pace of tightening will slow. Uh, going forward as we move towards a restrictive policy stance but at the same time uh, he, he he cautioned that you know we could uh, you know the fed terminal rate is actually perhaps much higher or higher than uh, what the fed expected back in september which was what roughly 4.6 percent mm -hmm. um, so there and, and i think one of the key uh, the key warning uh, from powell came also in terms of the the balance of risk uh, emphasizing that the risk uh, of over tightening is actually less than the risk of under tightening. Uh, so there is a, there is a potential that we could see uh, Fed funds, uh, the Fed funds rate uh, per perhaps peak higher than what is currently implied by the money market, which is just a little bit over uh, 5%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, it's interesting. I make the analogy that rather than seeing a, pe a Fed pivot, you know, and, and the consensus going into the meeting was, oh, you know, we'll get a, you know, some lower guidance or softer guidance, and therefore, you know, that's that's better for financial conditions. Um, I make the analogy; it's it's rather more of a plateau than a pivot. And what what uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, that's right. I mean, the, the expectations that the Fed would pivot from you know hawkish stance to neutral uh, have been overplayed, and that was a, I guess it was it was wishful thinking. Was wishful thinking from uh, from from financial markets. Uh, we're probably moving now towards a, uh, I guess, a, a a narrative for the Fed that you know rates will stay high and perhaps a little bit higher for for longer. I mean, you look at the Fed funds future curves. Uh, at this stage, they're still pricing in rate cuts uh, for later in 2023. Uh, so I think there is scope here for those rate expectations to adjust higher towards this plateau. Uh, that you're talking about where you know, the Fed funds future curve essentially um, uh, readjusted it a little bit higher to price out those um, uh, premature rate cut uh, later next year. And so with all this, what, what do you think that actually means then for the dollar, right? So we've seen this incredible rally in the dollar um, in which it, it's basically appreciated by nearly 20%, uh, you know, if we look at the dollar index, 
trade weighted terms, real effective exchange rate terms, we've seen a really enormous dollar move, which is nearly without precedent in the last 30 years. Um, what do you think that means for the dollar then in, in the short to medium term in, in your view? Well, the starting point is the US dollar now is still is quite fundamentally overvalued from any metric you, you want to measure it on, you know, relative real interest rate differentials, or more importantly, uh, purchasing power parity. Uh, now, you know, the two conditions uh, to see a cyclical downtrend in the US dollar or a, a correction from its overvalued level are not present. And these two conditions are, you know, either a Fed pivot, as we've, uh, we've discussed, or a pivot from hawkish to neutral, uh, or other central bank uh, ramping up their own interest rate hikes to catch up with the Fed. And I, I don't think these two conditions are present with respect to the Fed pivot. I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen anytime soon. That, that was made clear by uh, Powell uh, overnight. I mean, you look at uh, labor market conditions in the U.S., very tight, uh, certainly not consistent with a pivot. Inflation also uh, quite high, uncomfortably uncom high. Uh, uh, and the, the housing market in the U.S. Uh, is holding up relatively well, uh, despite higher interest rates. So you don't have the conditions for a pivot that could... Uh, lead to a weaker U.S. dollar from its overvalued level. Now, uh, the second, in terms of the second important, um, uh, you know, the, the, the other argument is that, well, other central banks are catching up or perhaps will catch up to the Fed. Uh, I think that's also unlikely because other central banks uh, face constraints that the Fed does not face. Uh, you look at the commodity, uh, the, the, com the commodity uh, central banks, uh, the Bank of Canada, for instance, uh, Australia, New Zealand, well, their major constraint is uh, an over-leveraged housing market, right? Uh, or excessive household debt. Uh, that's one of the big constraints here for tighter policy uh, in those countries. And we've seen already the Bank of Canada um, uh, you know, downplay or, 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 uh, or, or starting to pivot towards a less uh, ultra-hawkish stance. Uh, similarly with the RBA, uh, the constraints in the in the in Europe and the UK. Well, the constraint there is that they're both the, the UK and the eurozone economies uh, are facing or are in a recession. So that will limit the extent to which the ECB and the Bank of England uh, hike interest rates uh, going forward, and also will limit the extent to uh, to which they catch up to the Fed. And then you got the Bank of Japan. Well, then forget it. The Bank of Japan. I mean, they've got this ultra dovish policy stance in place, and that's unlikely going to change anytime soon, uh, given their inflation or benign inflation backdrop. So, you know, the two conditions here to see a cyclical downtrend, the U.S. dollar, uh, are not present. Uh, and that means that the risk that the U.S. dollar continues to overshoot or stays overvalued uh, are relatively high at this stage. Yeah, and I, I guess really, if, if we think about in the last even in the last two weeks, we've seen obviously the Bank of Canada giving lower lower guidance on rates. The Reserve Bank of Australia, you know, just giving us a rate hike of 25 basis points this week. And last week we had the, uh, the European Central Bank, um, you know, getting rates to 1.5%, but saying that the ECB has already completed a substantial degree of monetary tightening, effectively saying that, you know, that they're, they're closer to the end than the beginning of their, of their cycles. So um, in that context, yeah, one, one, one would agree. Um, I guess really then, if, if, we, if we do think of you know, this you know, king dollar narrative, or at least uh, 
a, a delay in a cyclical uh, weakness. If next year we do begin to see some dollar weakness, um, what, what outperforms against the dollar and why? What, what do you think is going on? Well, I mean, depend, I mean the, the, the other thing that's important to, to, to realize before we, we even discuss, you know, when will we start to see a dollar weakness, uh, perhaps before we see dollar weakness, we could potentially see a, a, a further uh, overshoot in the U.S. dollar, uh, especially if these um, if this terminal rate from the Fed is higher than what is currently implied by a money market. And just to give you an idea, I think it's quite interesting. You know, a lot of people you know try to see well, where is that neutral Fed funds rate uh, in the U.S. I think one simple way to, to 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 figure this out is just to simply look at you know, average or long-term uh, nominal GDP growth in the U.S., which is average roughly 5%. So a simple back-of-the-envelope calculation, well, you can say, you know, well, the neutral Fed funds rate is probably close to, uh, to to 5% in the U.S. And if the Fed needs to go well above this 5%, well, we could see, you know, 55 6% uh, Fed funds rate. And that's certainly not priced in uh, by money market at this stage. Uh, and if and if this pans out, that we could see the U.S. dollar overshoot uh, further uh, mm -hmm. early into next year, uh, particularly sure. considering also 2023. It's going to be interesting from a fiscal standpoint that fiscal policy over 2023 will be much less restrictive uh, than in 2022. So you're going to have the combination of tight monetary policy in the U.S. combined with loose or less restrictive uh, fiscal policy stance in the U.S. and these two, from a macro perspective, uh, you know, loose, uh, tight monetary policy, less restrictive fiscal policy. Uh, that's the uh, the cocktail for a strong currency. So we could see dollar strength um, gaining a bit more uh, momentum into or early into next year. Mm -hmm. Now, what could lead uh, to a uh, you know once we get to that riot point where the Fed uh, uh, the Fed funds rate peaks and leads to dollar weakness. Uh, the the currencies that will ultimately benefit from that, uh, I think, would be well the yen, uh, number one. Uh, particularly if we get if if you know the the Fed the Fed peaks at a time when financial or risk risk aversion uh, surges, uh, that will be uh, quite. Uh, beneficial for the safe haven Japanese yen. So I could see the Japanese yen doing quite well in those conditions. Um, and yeah, so that, that would be my, I think, the, uh, the ultimate play uh, going into uh, the second half of uh, next year or late into the first half of, uh, of next year, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one for the BOJ. Um, uh, I think that the BOJ's current policy stance reminds me of a um, of an ancient Chinese proverb that it's it's better to, uh, to plan your retreat than to plan 36 ways of victory. Mm -hmm. And from the BOJ's perspective, it's okay that we have this incredibly aggressive um, monetary policy in terms of its uh, its looseness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, continuing with with yield curve control, where you know they're they're pinning the 10 year JGB yield between plus and minus 25 basis points. Still engaging in uh, in in huge uh, QQE or QE efforts, um, and its question is really well, how do they get out of that? Um, you know, in in the coming months, with inflation getting very close back to target, starting to see finally signs of wage growth in Japan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do they kind of get themselves out of this predicament? 
Well, you know, but what I found quite interesting in the uh, in the post uh, BOJ meeting speech from uh, Kuroda, he said, you know, he doesn't expect to see uh, inflation, uh, at least core inflation, excluding I think uh, energy and fresh fruit, fresh food, to get to two uh, percent until uh, in a consistent basis until we see wage growth or real wage growth of three percent. Real wage growth in Japan is negative 1.7% right now. Yeah. yeah. How are you going to get to, I mean, if you want to get to 3% for the BOJ to, you know, start pivoting away from their ultra dovish chance, I mean, it's, uh, they're in for the long run there. Yeah. So really, it's not, you're not, you're not going to see yen, yen, the, the, the yen strengthening on expectations for a pivot from the Bank of Japan. But you could see the, the yen starting to outperform because the Fed raises rates too far too, too far and too high. Um, so well above restrictive level that leads to a bit of financial market turbulence. Mm -hmm. uh, and similarly would lead to the Fed pivoting towards uh, neutral. And that will be the, your conditions for uh, the yen to outperform yeah so so in a sense really the, the fed continues to raise rates until something breaks until something breaks exactly yeah, that's, a, that's a narrative exactly that's fantastic um and any thoughts then you know to, to kind of wrap it up um any thoughts then on what this means for the euro um certainly we've seen further rate hikes from the ecb we've got a terminal rate priced in of around 2.5 percent by, by q2 of next year 2.75 in in q3 next year what are your thoughts on the ECB? Can they get rates that high? Um, you know, what do you think of the, the, the trade balance in Europe, obviously, with, with everything that's going on vis-a-vis -vis energy imports, et cetera? What, what's your broad outlook and, and outline for the euro over the coming year? Really, the, the, the only positive for the euro at this, at this stage is that it's extremely cheap um you know from any valuation measure, namely PPP, uh, but also from real interest rate differentials. Uh, on a more nominal perspective, also the euro uh, is undervalued relative to the to to uh, interest rate expectations. Uh, not significantly, but you know it it should be trading a little bit above parity if we simply look at uh, you know, one year uh, central bank expectations differential yeah. between the U.S. and the and the eurozone. Sure. So from that perspective, you know I say the downside for the downside for the euro here. Uh, will be mostly undershoot because of broad dollar strength and and uh, the, the euro will bear the brunt of it. Uh, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think these could, uh, you know, the, the euros around 90 cents or 95, I think, from a longer term perspective, if you're if you're looking to, if you're, if you're a long term investor with a horizon over six to 12 months, uh, that, that could be a good opportunity to bottom fish uh, mm -hmm. the euro. Um, Simply from a valuation perspective, in terms of the the, the ECB, the ECB will will remain uh, will will continue with their tightening cycle, but they I doubt that they will be able to catch up to the Fed, and that's a big uh, headwind for for the euro, uh, and they won't catch up to the Fed because of uh, the fact that their economy is is uh, uh, you know facing or in in a recession. 
Uh, you've got the uh, the supply issues with respect to uh, uh, well their energy uh, the the energy uh, story narrative uh, and, and Russia that plays against uh, that plays against the euro. One thing that I find encouraging and could limit uh, downside for the euro is the fact that. If you look at the inventory of uh, gases in the eurozone, I think they're they're well above uh, the uh, they're at eighty percent they're at eighty uh, percent level or even ninety percent. I think ninety percent plus. Yeah, that's it for for so so for this winter it shouldn't be an issue, mm -hmm. uh, but if uh, the war in Ukraine obviously uh, drags uh, drags out into next year and 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 the year after. Um, these are these are big structural headwinds here for uh, for the euro. But from a valuation perspective, I really like the the currency around, especially yeah. around ninety five cents. Yeah. So basically, it's uh, it's very very cheap, but uh, but cheap for reasons, I suppose, is the the best yeah. way we could uh, we we could put it. Great. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Elias, thank you very very much for your time on today's podcast. It's greatly uh, greatly appreciated. And to all of our listeners, thank you very much. And we'll we'll look forward to having Elias on the podcast again in the future. Thanks for listening.